Hi there. Welcome to the High Road to Leadership, a journey to the heart of success and significance. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and I'm excited that you're here today because the world desperately needs heart-based leaders with extraordinarily high emotional intelligence. I talk all the time about leading from the heart, and I have a guest today that does that with such grace and such power at the same time. You are going to love meeting Tammy Dunaway. Tammy is rather unique. You know, so many people in my world, um, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and so many people, that's like their aspiration. They leave corporate to start their own business. That's like their dream. And that's a wonderful dream. But Tammy did it in a unique way. Tammy owned her own massage therapy business for 20 years. Then she went back to school, got her master's degree, and directed a nonprofit that everybody loves, Girls Incorporated, in our local area. And then, after several very successful years there, she chose to go into a corporate healthcare setting, which really lights my fire because healthcare needs people to return to the heart of leadership. It's such an incredibly important industry, uh, and it influences it in our lives, especially today. So, Tammy, I have to just say thank you for taking the time today to talk to us about leadership. Oh, Beverly, the, the pleasure and the honor is mine. Thank you for, um, for inviting me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, and um, it's just good to be in your company. So I'm going to start. Let's start... And there, it, there might be things about your background that I didn't cover in the introduction. I think you mentioned to me that your first uh, exposure to leadership was your first job at Chick-fil-A. It was. Comment on that. Oh, my goodness. I um, I was 15 years old, which was many years ago, <laughs> over 40, and, um, and I interviewed at Chick-fil-A in Panama City Mall, and I was hired. And to this day, um, Terry Cantrell, who was the owner, still calls me his son shine because I truly loved my experience at Chick-fil-A and it was completely service oriented. A great place to start. And now, um, so now take us, was the next thing you want to talk about your experience in entrepreneurship as a massage therapist? Why did you go into that and what was it that you, what was one of the main things you learned about business and leadership and Talk to us about that phase of your life. Okay. Well, I worked, uh, you know, other jobs before I went into massage therapy school, but I was working for the wellness center when Gulf Coast Medical Center owned their wellness center. And I, um, I always had a, I guess, a gift or a love for massage. Um, my family was very tactile, so I would rub my mother's feet or my daddy's hand or so. Um, but to be quite honest with you, Beverly, I, w- I went into it thinking I was going to um, do equine massage or pe- pet massage. Um, I was, at that time, somewhat inhibited. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to go and take care of animals. And, and I fell in love with it, and I felt like God had given me a gift so I went with people. And so then I went, I was the hospital's first licensed massage therapist. And then I went out to Tyndall Air Force Base as their therapist. And um, I had my own practice. So what, what I can tell you that comes to me is that you have to show up every time. 
it, I mean, I had to show up every time. I mean, by that fully, give the person my all. You can't have a bad day or, a, or give someone a bad massage. Not if you want them to come back to you. That's their time. That's their resources. That's their body. It's their physical well-being. So, um, so what I learned there was I didn't have... Um, the opportunity to have a bad day or a bad massage because and and truly my clients came to me my clients kept me busy all 15 20 years so they rebooked because um, they knew I was going to deliver that's that's beautiful and you know what I you're already it sounds like you were dubbed sunshine before you learned that which is an amazing thing. I, I One of my recent podcasts was on how to uh, keep a positive attitude in a negative world. And it sounds like you could teach that because you live it. And that's that's a, an important takeaway from that segment. You, you're not allowed to have a bad day. And so tell me about that. It, it really, is that where you started developing the resilience, that, um, that determination to choose your mindset? Well, and so I may get a little choked up, teary-eyed when I say this, but it really came from my dad. Um, and so... Uh, I was double dunked in in both um, compassion and I guess the character of showing up. My dad was military. He was in the Army 20 years. And so I was raised on leave no man behind. So you you don't run ahead and leave your comrade or your friend or whomever behind. You bring them with you. You go back and get them. And then he became a minister. And so I grew up then with my father as a preacher. And so then it was doing to others as you'd have them doing to you. So I had a, a double dunk of of. You take care of other people while you're taking care of yourself. So I think I was just um, born into it. I was raised into it. It was just, it was a way of life. That was my example. And my mother was the same. And it's so it's your DNA. That's what I hear you saying. And I know um, y'all don't know this, but Tammy um, had to say goodbye on this earth to her dad not too long ago. And that's always a tough thing. Being a daddy's girl myself, I know, I know. I had to say goodbye to my dad way too soon, many years ago. But um, how, what a legacy. What an incredible legacy that we we don't really say goodbye because that's uh, that's what I sense that when my dad died, that he, he his legacy lives in me, and that's an amazing thing. It's, it's a true. really amazing thing. I gave my father's eulogy, and one of the things that I said was. Um, because all of my family adores my father. I mean, he's just, he had a unique relationship with each of us. And, um, but I said, Daddy, Daddy was the vessel of, of God's Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit that lives on in each of us that makes us that legacy. So we're living out what he taught us because it's, it's principles that have been forever. I have to share, this is totally off script, but I have to share when we're talking about our daddies that I also spoke at my dad's funeral. And I was um, 35 years old, and I remember my newborn, I had a newborn in somebody's arms out there, but I talked about how my dad's biggest gift to me was the gift of music. And he was a musician. 
And he gave me, I've ever since that time, I've always told people that music is my first language. I speak English as a second language. I love and that. that is part of my DNA. It's but I'm not going to sing for you today, I promise. But now I know what I'll be asking you to do off mic. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, well I have I have a guest for the future for that that teaches oh, that's a whole nother story. So let's let's get back to okay, we've got a big takeaway from your sex your that sex segment of your life where you were an entrepreneur. Then when I met you, you were the director of Girls Inc. Yes. And what a beautiful organization. Let's see. It's uh, smart, strong, bold. Is That's that it? exactly right. <laughs> Helping girls to become strong, smart, and bold. And you know, I, I just looked at their website today and now it says stronger, smarter, bolder. And I'm like, that is exactly what we all need in this stage of our lives. Stronger, smarter, bolder. So that, that has to have been a very impactful time of your life. You had finished your master's degree. So talk to us about what you learned about leadership in that segment of your life. Okay. I am. Um, well, I'll go back a, a couple, a few years prior to going to Girls Inc. When I began my college experience, I thought I wanted to be a school teacher because I was 36 and people kept saying, one day you're going to burn out physically. You're not going to be able to massage because I always did deep tissue medical massage. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for the formal education. And I started thinking I wanted to be a teacher. And when I got in there, I thought, well, at 36, I don't know if I can change the world one classroom at a time. And I had high aspirations to change the world. So um, I thought, okay, I'm going to go into marketing instead. And so, and, and also, to be honest, when I was looking at education, I thought, well, if I become a teacher, I can help change the world. But then I would sometimes see people with even their doctorates that weren't necessarily changing the world, that still brought along some of the things that I thought education would rid you of, bigotry, prejudice, um, some of the things that I, I think hurt our world. And so I'd see it in highly educated people. So I thought, well, education's not the answer then. So let me figure out what is. So then I thought politics. And I had an internship at the Capitol in Tallahassee. And then I thought, mm, that's not it. <laughs> um, you know, so, I, and so then I finished my undergrad in sociology, which prepared me for Girls, Inc. Because what I wanted the girls to do is, for me, I wanted to level the playing field for them. I I wanted to prepare them to be their best selves as individuals, and that be through education, through knowing how to be in any social circumstance, because sometimes when you feel awkward, you're not your best self. So I, we prepared them with great leaders in town coming in, teaching them everything from, um, you know, what silverware to use at a formal place dinner setting, and to just um, those social graces, but understanding the environment. I wanted them to feel like they could have a seat at any table they wanted to be at. And that was what I loved about being brought onto Girls, Inc. And then, of course, I, with all the fun development, I was able to use my creativity as far as our golf tournament and our our, um, uh, our race and the different things that we did for, you know, developing those funds. So... Oh my goodness! And I have to. Rem- I I know we both remember this. I ran that half marathon. Yes, and I had never run before. That year, I was finished my book. And run for the treasure. Run for the treasure. And I had thought, what a perfect um, 
you know, I love Girls Inc. So I had never run. I had never even run a 5K. I have year. a picture of us there at the finish line. I love that picture. I need to get that. I'll I, get it to I you. need to get that because uh, it was, I remember you walking with me afterwards saying, you can't lay down. You can't sit down. You got to get this lactic acid moving. And I had no idea what you're talking about, but I knew you knew because you're, you're a runner. Yes. So my goodness, what a fun memory. Yes. That is a great memory. And thank you for sharing about leadership and and Girls Inc. So let's talk now about this phase. You are now actually teaching leadership in the healthcare setting and equipping directors and leaders of departments, helping people in this most incredible season of we thought the pandemic was over, they were, you know, trying to breathe a sigh of relief, and then, you know, bam, comes the Delta variant. And so here you are and you're you're imparting to leaders. So talk to us about what you're learning about helping others in this dire situation. And also, I do have to mention, we're talking about memories. I know that you've been through a lot of trauma. Uh, We're in Panama City, Florida. Um, It's been almost three years ago that we got hit by that Cat 5 hurricane. The uh, home you were living in uh, was literally collapsing around you while you were in a safe place. Well, a bathroom with your dogs right and then and you've been through that you've been through a a brain tumor and recovery from that you've been through divorce and recovery from that so I feel like that makes you perfectly qualified to help people who are dealing with trauma but I'm not trying to put words in your mouth talk to me about what you're learning through all this okay I am. Um, well, seven years ago when the hospital brought me on, they, they recruited me into what we called patient experience coordinator, which old school would have been patient advocacy. And so I loved that role with my master's in counseling and psych. I was able to um, uh, do a lot of mediation for both, both the person with the complaint and the person who was being complained about about whatever the circumstances were. Sometimes it was family dynamics that I would sit in on from our, the patient's family, or it would be a conflict, you know, a complaint of some sort within the hospital with our staff. So um, I did that for a number of years. During that time, what I saw was that if instead of my pointing out how people could do their job better, be it housekeeping, um, environmental services, be it um, nursing, whatever the role, whatever we had fallen short on our delivery. If I could help that person become their best self, then I didn't have to then continue to correct problems. If I could prepare people to deliver their best, then you know, then they took care of the patient and the guest. So I developed a, a series, and it begins with, you know, who am I? And then the second one is, who are your people? And the third one is cognitive behavior tool on, on developing your skill set, getting to your goals, on becoming your best self. And then the last one was on communication. So the administrative team let me start, and what I, how I proposed it was, let me do this with the nurses first. You know, we spend so much time and resources on developing leaders who are already, you know, the directors and, and 
on up. And so let's develop everybody so that everybody becomes their best self. And then we just all go about the business of taking care of our patients and guests. It's not... So they said yes. So I started with nurses, but then when the pandemic um, hit, uh, they asked if I would start working some patient experience um, issues again. And by that point, I'll just be honest with you, Beverly, with tears in my eyes, I said, please, I said, I don't know that my beloved work family can take me coming in and and pointing out something that they need to do better. They're in crisis mode. These nurses didn't go to nursing school thinking they were going to see what they're seeing. They thought they might have an occasional person pass, or, but they didn't think it would be day in, day out, people passing and are, you know, and so I, uh, I said, you know, that's what my father went in as a medic in the Army. He was prepared for the battlefield, for death. But these nurses aren't prepared for that. So they agreed, and I said, let me go in and do this developmental series with the, with the nurses and with the directors, and, and, um, and then let, let me just nurture their souls and help them become their best selves, and it will take care of itself. So, you know, employee engagement and patient experience, uh, they're interconnected. So they agreed, and it has been the best thing. I also was able to um, adapt in what we call Code Lavender, and I borrowed that from Cleveland Clinic, and it's where I go from unit to unit with my massage chair and I give 10-15 minute neck massages and to nurses, um, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, I've done the maintenance crew of um, uh, all the different departments in the hospital. We call it Code Lavender and I schedule time with them because again they need that time to um, just get back to zero, get back to who they are and then go back out into what has now become, in my opinion, a battlefield, and then they're taking care of the patients and the guests. So that's that's full circle where I'm at right now today. It sounds to me like you have got to be one of the most popular people in the hospital. I mean, especially with that massage chair. <laughs> it has been so good for them. And I will tell you this, Beverly. When I um, first began in massage, 1996, I worked alongside a counselor because in massage therapy, you know, you have your you have your mental memory, your mind memory, and but you know how you have like olfactory memory when you smell something, you remember it baking in your grandmother's kitchen, or you have tactile memory, like when your hair blows. I think of when I would be a little girl on a swing, when my hair would blow. So we have different kinds of memories stimulated different ways. But when people have suffered trauma, sometimes they have a muscle memory. Like let's just say, unfortunately, somebody was strangled. And so then if it's, say, a female, then her husband wants to massage her neck or hug her, she may pull away because of the muscle memory of the trauma of being strangled. Now we might even say PTSD. So what back in 1990. Six, I worked alongside a counselor to, to retrain the muscles to receive the good touch, the healthy touch. Does that make sense? Yes. So then they were able to have a normal functioning life. So what this has also done then at Code Lavender in the hospital when the nurses or the different departments sit on that chair and receive healthy touch, it lets them have an emotional release. It it can be within, it doesn't have to be expressed outwardly, but it lets them not, it lets them take off their armor, you know, and just decompress for a moment. So that's as 
as um, good for them as is the, the actual working their muscles. And it sounds honestly like it's as good for them as the training. You know, you're doing leadership training, and that's what I do. But it sounds like I'm going to be scheduling a massage. <laughs> and I would it'd be an honor to take care of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is a wonderful bonus of a leadership session that I'm learning all about why that's a very important aspect of dealing with trauma, which we all have at different levels in different points of our life, but anybody that's lived any period of time uh, doesn't get to skip that chapter. And it sounds like, um, so, so I didn't warn you about this question, but you know, we've, I mentioned all the things that you've been through and resilience is one thing that I, I think of resilience um, with great grace is, is one of the things that I think about when I think of you. So is there any, um, tip that you would want to give people about how to press through and because the only way you get resilience it's kind of like I used to hear people joke about don't ever pray for patience because if you pray for patience you will get opportunities that test your patience and it's kind of like that with resilience the only way you build it is by you know, testing your courage and your strength, right? But do you have any tips for people that are being challenged? I have two. And one is going to be with the psych and counseling background. That's going to be R-E-B-T, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. Albert Ellis, that's um, a cognitive behavior tool. You can look it up online. And what it tells us to do is it talks about not awfulizing the situation, and it teaches you how not to awfulize it. Not awfulizing. Not awfulizing. So, for instance, if you say, this is a horrible day, because you're having a bad moment, you've just pretty much set into stone that the entire day is going to be horrible because you've told yourself that and then it creates it into being. Um, but if you say to yourself, this is a bad moment, and even even to check the word horrible, is it horrible? You know, we will use those kind of things, those kind of words, without really even thinking twice about it. So without nitpicking or, you know, I'm not talking about getting in your head so much with it that, you know, you get lost. But, but just to challenge your awfulizing word patterns your, that, that you tell yourself. So that, so for instance, and please know, Beverly, I... The sanctity of human life and the suffering that people are going through. I, I, not to be emotional, but you know, I cry and pray on the way into work most days for everyone. Um, so I'm not diminishing the severity of that. But when I have somebody to say to me, "Everybody's dying," I'm like, "Wait, you had eight patients today, and two passed, or one passed." So let's focus on the six or the seven that are living. And let's let the one that passed honor them, respect them, um, give them the best ending that we humanly can from their family to what all we have. But you have to honor the living as well. And you have to remember that or you'll lose hope. You'll lose um, you'll lose why you were called into this in the first place. And that's for whatever setting. This is what I'm talking about for healthcare and, and the hospital setting right now. But that's whatever setting we're in is to, is to be 
um, mindful of the words that we're saying to ourselves. Another way of expressing it, I have my friends that say, oh, I look terrible today, or I'm, they'll say something like, I'm a fat pig. And I will stop them, and I'm like, would you tell your daughter that? Would you tell me that? You're telling yourself that. Please stop, because you're going to believe you. So you're neither fat and you're not a pig. So imagine yourself as a little child and say to your, talk to you that way, which leads me to what really, really works for me. Because REBT is great, and that's from the Master's Program. But it's my walk with God. Because truly, anything I learn from my associates to my undergrad in sociology, anthropology, economics, to then the master's. If I had truly understood the Bible all those years and really read it to learn to have a close, intimate walk with Jesus, then I think I would have known everything and lived it out even longer. So I don't know. But my point being is is because God talks about renewing your mind daily. He talks about whatever comes out from a man's um, heart. You know, there's all the verses that are the same exact thing, but thousands of years old wisdom that, um, that... that's what gives me resilience. That's what gives me hope. That's what gives me joy. That's what my ray of sunshine. Um, that's truly my everything. That's my servant leadership. There's no better example than Jesus on servant leadership. So he's my role model. He's my hero. He's my guide. That's my favorite book. Um, and so, wow, that's a perfect high note to end on today. Uh, And that is a high note with the sunshine, with the hope, with the courage, with the strength, with the um, positive thoughts flowing from your heart, through your mouth, into the lives of others. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this gift of yourself today and joining us on the high road to leadership, which you are certainly on and leading well. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you for being a role model and a leader. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here today. Thank you for being you. I love you. We all do. Thank you, Beverly Lewis.